Ruth chapter 2, verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain. And she ate and was satisfied and had some left. When she, when she rose to glean, Boaz commanded his servants, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not insult her. And you shall purposely pull out for her some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. She took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also took it out and gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. Her mother-in-law then said to her, Where did you glean today, and where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The name of the man with whom I work today is Boaz. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and 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 to the dead. And Naomi said to her, this man is our relative. He is one of our closest relatives. Then Ruth the Moabitess said, furthermore, he said to me, you shall stay close to my servants until they have finished all my harvest. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his maids so that others do not fall upon you in another field. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And Father, we do thank you for this story. We ask that you would help us, Lord, as we guide our way through it today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. So we're picking up in the middle of a story. I want to uh, sort of back up, um, review where we've been. So if we can go to the next slide. The story that we're in today takes place in Israel. So this is Israel. Um, in the north, you have the Sea of Galilee. It's a, it's a freshwater uh, lake. It's, it's, it's a pretty good-sized lake. It's fed um, by three springs that are like up north here that feed into the Sea of Galilee. From the southern part of the Sea of Galilee, there's a river called the Jordan River that flows from north to south into the Dead Sea, some 80-ish miles uh, down there. The Dead Sea, there's no place for the water to leave. Um, The the only way it leaves is through evaporation. And as it evaporates, it leaves behind salt. So it's a very salty, nothing can live and survive there. And it leaves all these minerals that go into the mud that, that when you go to Israel... All of the ladies like all of the junk stuff. I don't like you go to the Ahava factory and I don't get it. They make they make the guys sit through the little presentation and and they say all the goopy stuff that you can do goop with. And apparently I don't like I guess the goop is good. So I don't I don't I don't really understand. Um, but the, the ladies love it. And uh, whatever. I'm going to get sidetracked here. This is Mexico. And so our story today takes to the next slide. We're going to zoom in closer to the Dead Sea. And you'll notice Bethlehem in this location. It's five miles south of Jerusalem. And the book of Ruth opens up in this location, in Bethlehem. And we learn that in the land, there is a famine. The people are starving. There's no food. 
I think of, because I was raised in the Salinas Valley in Monterey area, of the great author Steinbeck. And I, the, uh, the great book, The Grapes of Wrath, who I'm still trying to convince my wife that it's a great book. She doesn't like it at all. But this, this, this story that unfolds of, of, uh, of the desperation of not having food and how are we going to survive and feed our families and, and nothingness. It's a beautiful picture of what was of of imagining what was going on in in Israel during this time. And so in this period of of famine, we're introduced to this man, Elimelech, which means my God is king. Many have made a, a lot of reference to his his name, which I sort of agree with that. Here's this man, his name, which means my God is king. And yet he doesn't trust God. His actions point to wanting to take matters into his own hands. His wife, Naomi, which means sweet, pleasant. We imagine that they're there in Bethlehem. Naomi, in this story, accepts responsibility. That, that, that she believes that this, the, the tragedy that's going to strike her is because of her disobedience. They wrestle, how are we going to feed the kids? What are we going to do? Well, we hear there's food over in Moab. Maybe we'll just go over to Moab a couple weeks, quick stint. We'll, we'll, we'll get some food and then we'll come back. The land of Moab was a land that the, the Jewish people should, likely shouldn't have gone over to because of the history there. We know that the Moabites are descendants directly from one of Lot's daughters as their world was wiped out. They wanted to continue their family line. The only way they could come up with to extend their family line was let's get dad drunk and we each will sleep with him. They each conceived. And one of the sons was the Moabites. There's, there's a bad history of the people of Moab. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, they were instructed never to let the Moabites into the house of worship. To the 10th generation, you weren't even to pray a blessing on them. That there was this line drawn in the stand. Stay away from them. And so as Naomi and Elimelech are wrestling with what to do. There's economic pressure. And then there's the spiritual pressure. And in their choice, they decide to neglect the spiritual implications. And they follow the economy. And they chase the bread. And so they make their journey around the Dead Sea. Now, it seems like a short, it's about 90 miles up and around and coming down. This is modern day Jordan. This mountain range here is huge. If you go to the next slide, we'll do it. I wasn't planning on it. You can probably turn to the back screen. It's, it's easier to see. But this is from uh, Israel looking across the Dead Sea to the Jordan. And you see those mountain ranges. They are massive. It, it, it's a physical barrier of these people you can go to the previous slide and so they make the journey you know what we're going to go over here we're going to enter into the land of moab and so they journey into moab it's them and their two sons i forget like chilion and they seem very star wars or trekkie i'm not either one of the i'm not star wars fan or or trekkie fan but they remind me of one of those klingons i think or that it's star wars trek i see offended a bunch of people last week and uh but that means sickly and dying are their son's names. And so they go there. They're not there that long. 
And we don't know how, we don't know what happened, but we're told that Elimelech, my God is king, dies. And so there's Naomi, her husband, gone. The only hope that she has is now is in her two boys who remain in the land, which very immediately it says they married Moabite women. The implication is they're no longer following after Yahweh, the God of Israel. They've, they've gone astray following after the Moabite gods. Ten years elapse and you think about Naomi's, the mother-in-law of these two. Their boys are married. The girls get sick. Oh, you have something to tell us? Are you expecting? No, I just had some bad carne asada. I'm just from a stomach spot. I'm not pregnant. Ten years goes by and then eventually these two sons of hers die. She's left with nothing. Her whole world is apart. And, and I mean, it's bad to lose your husband and all your children. And for them to have this happen, that your family line is cut off. This is a dire judgment of God. And so she decides, she hears in Moab that there's food in Judah now she's just a she's a widow that's an Israelite in the land of Moab. To be a widow in that day, you had no resources, no help, no anything. And everything's gone. And she's not even in a land with her, where her people are. So this is total and complete destitution. Is that destitution? To be destitute? Can you add that? You can do that. Okay. I don't somewhere. I make up so many words. I'm trying to reduce the amount of words I make up every year. Um, so she's. She's she's hit rock bottom. And and in this journey, she decides, you know what? I'm going to go back to the land of my people. And you get the sense that this is sort of repentance, that she walked in disobedience. And now she's going to walk in obedience and go back, go back. And so she's walking to the edge of town. Her daughter-in-laws are walking with her. There's Oprah. It wasn't actually Oprah. It was Orpha. But I have Oprah because that's how I remember the name. So there's Oprah and there's Ruth. They walk to the edge of town. When they get far enough away to where they can't keep her from staying in Moab, but close enough that she could send them along, she says, you girls go back to your mother's house. You'll only find that phrase, I think, two times in the whole Bible. You see father's house all the time, but mother's house, what? They're not her children. They have their own mothers. The, 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 the mother would match them with another husband go get married god is judging me don't don't ruin your life by following me go back and the girls say no no we're gonna stay with you we love you mom and she says don't don't come really go back and so orpha turns back and heads back to her family where she came from and ruth stays and there's this powerful exchange. I sense at this point, we know that Naomi says she's a bitter lady. In the story that's unfolded, when she goes back to Israel, she says, don't call me Naomi, which means sweetness. Call me Mara, which means bitterness. For God has dealt bitterly with me. He's standing and witnessing against me in my disobedience to him. That he's putting me to shame. And I sense a, a mean, strong lady at this point who wants to spare Ruth 
And I think that she gets me and she says, I tell you, you go back to your people. And as she says, go back to your people, what she's saying is, my people are not your people. We're Israel. You're a Moabite. You will not be well received. You're not welcomed. You're not allowed to go into our places of worship. And go back to your gods. And that's the heart of the issue. They serve false gods. They're people. There was this line in the sand. Then we see Ruth, this beautiful picture. She says, never, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. Where you go, I'll go. Your people will become my people. And the, the crux of all of Ruth is your God shall be my God. Ruth to me stands in direct contrast to Elimelech, who, whom my, my God is king. And yet he walks away from God. He follows the, the financial implications, chasing the money, not worried about who God is. To Ruth, who says, I don't care what the hardship is. I know it's going to be difficult for me to go to Israel. I'm going to be judged. Follow her name all the way through this book. Ruth the Moabitess. Ruth the Moabitess. It's never just Ruth. It's like, we know where she's from. No, Ruth of Moab. Ruth the Moabitess. This this scarlet letter of Moab is placed upon her. She says, I don't care that I don't know anybody there. I don't care that I don't know the people. I don't care. That I'll be judged and I'll be ostracized. Your God is real. He is my God now and I'm following after him. And we see her conversion and it is beautiful. She cares about the spiritual implication, not the financial implication. She's walking into the storm, not walking to easiness. And so they, they enter into Israel, to Bethlehem, where now the barley is, I don't know, sprouting. You know, there's food. And as they enter the town, the ladies in the town start gossiping. Who is that lady? That kind of looks like, could it be Naomi? Man, it's been, what, it's been 20 years ago. And she's all alone. She, she had a husband, two sons. Where are they? Who's that Moabite girl with her? Hey. Naomi, Naomi, uh, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, sweetness. Call me Mara, for the Lord has afflicted me. And our story last week in verse 2 of chapter 2, there they are, they're hungry, they're starving, they're, how are we going to make ends meet? And Ruth goes to her mom, mo, I don't know, mom-in-law, yeah, we can say that. I don't think she's like, call this my mom, it's like my mom, she's, She's given her everything. This is my mom. And you get the picture that she wakes up in the morning and she says, Mom, I know about the mosaic provision that the, that the, that the harvesters, they, they, they have to allow the, the, the foreigner, the alien, the widow, the orphan to, to follow as they reap this, the, the crops. That they're, they're, they're required to allow us to, to pick through the scraps. Let me go out. Let me see if I can get us some food. The mom says, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? She goes out. I imagine when workers go out today, they go out pre-sunrise so that when the sun's up and they start working, they're ready to go. We learned from the story that she had approached one middle management guy who was overseeing all of the reapers. And she says, is it 
Are you okay with me in these, this area? He says, sure, no problem. Just follow the law. Don't, go, don't get ahead of yourself, but do your work. So she's working along in the story. He says that she, at some point in the story, just crossed the legal boundary and suddenly entered into, by happenstance, happened to cross into Boaz's property. And she continued working. And I love this. She doesn't have a clue who Boaz is. There was no intent. It just happened in God's sovereignty. She just happened to be in the perfect place at the perfect time with the right heart that she's out. She's doing what she can. And God sort of orchestrates the story. It's beautiful. She's working. She's working. She's working. And she's working. And then it seems like she takes a break and she finds herself in the house. Not lunchtime. But just a break. And as she sits down to take her break, the owner of all of the land appears. God bless all you guys. This godly man in his place. And all his workers say, and may the Lord continue to bless you. And, and people who work, they want their boss to be blessed because they sow the benefits. And he brings God. And as he's looking around, he notices this Moabite. And he looks at the guy with the clipboard who's in charge of all the employees. And he says, who's that girl over there? And guys, as you know, she, she, uh, she came really early this morning. She asked me if it was okay to, to glean in the fields. I said, of course, no problem. She's been working like a dog. This is, in fact, this is just, she just came in to sit down for a few minutes. And now we're told in the background, it's clear that Boaz knows who she is as the story unfolds. He knows about her. And so he goes to her and he says, you know what? I, I know who you are. I, I want you to stay in my fields. I'll offer you protection when you get thirsty. Go to my servant's water. Help yourself. There's orange slices and water and make yourself at home. Stay in my land. And she. In verse 10 of chapter 2. Sort of this picture of, why would you do this? Like, I, I know that the law says I'm allowed to glean. But what you're doing, you're going above and beyond anything that I was allowed to do. She says, why would you take notice of me? I'm a foreigner. I'm a Moabite. And he says, I've heard all about you. I know what you did for your mother-in-law. He doesn't say he's connected. So I, your reputation has gone out before you. How you have cared for your mother-in-law who lost her husband, her two sons, that you've stuck by her side, that you've come out, and now we see you working hard, trying to, to provide some food for her. And I love verse 12. This is Boaz, this, this honorable man gets it. And he says to her, he says, may the Lord reward your work. And your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel. Under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. He says, it's it's not just about the food. It's that she left her gods for the true God. And now she's trusting upon him. And he says, "May, may God take care of you. That she's just this gift in verse 13. 
I have found favor in your sight, my Lord. You have comforted me, and indeed I have spoken kindly to your maidservant. Though I am not like one of your maidservants. You know, going to Mexico to building a house, it's, for me, it's good for my soul. To see the conditions that they're living in. To build a house. I'm trying to, before I start calling people out, but I guarantee you anybody that was there yesterday to think that this was a house smaller than most of our bedrooms, probably probably the size of some of our closets. No water, like, anywhere. And, and to interact with the Mexican people, and this lady that we had with two little kids, her husband's working, and, and that I was the one leading the charge with Spanish yesterday for my house, you know it's in desperate. I prayed in Spanish. And Anna said, what did you use? How did you do that? I said, easy. Gracias, Padre, por comida. En Jesucristo nombre. <laughs> I think somebody giggled. And to see this girl at the end, finally, Esmeralda came up, and she, she then started communicating. And this lady just is like, I am... And so much gratitude that you guys have that you would do this. And all I saw was Ruth's face and her eyes with tears. And this is where she is in verse 13. This is where our story picks up. And as we enter into verse 14, don't let this. It says, at mealtime, Boaz said to her. See, now Boaz, or I'm, Ruth stops speaking. And then it says, at mealtime. They were on break. She went back to work and she continued to work for a couple hours. And then mealtime came. And now when mealtime comes, there would be those that are employees that had certain benefits. Boaz took care of them. He uh, fed them. He took care of them. There'd be this group of people that, that were a part of his group. And then there would be the gleaners who would be the second class citizens off to the side. Maybe eating, maybe not. Maybe eating a little bit of what they could find. Remember, they were the poor and the destitute. They had nothing. They can't continue working if the reapers don't continue their work. So the reapers stop for lunch. And so then the gleaners are forced to stop working. They may or they may not have food, but they are staying on the heels of the reapers because that's their only hope of finding anything edible. And there would be multiple of them. So there was sort of this, I'm not going to slip. If I wait, if, I, if I'm not there right at that line, by the time I get there, there might not be anything. And so we're told at mealtime. And so here's Ruth over with the gleaners. Then Boaz has his group of people for lunch. And Boaz says to her, come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers. I'm sorry, my brain wandered. Too many files open. I have something up my sleeves later, so I was hoping that that wasn't coming. But you'll know it when it happens. Don't worry. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say. Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers. Now, this is powerful. 
They're having fondue or chips and salsa, a community type of food, you know, like like with, there's something just different about community food. I, I, I confess I'm American, you know, like I I kind of eat like this weapon in my hand. And this has been an issue that we've had in our marriage. I've really been trying to work through it. See, my wife thinks that if I order a burger and fries, that my plate is like fair game for her. And so often I've had to like stab her hand when she's reaching for my fries. Get away from my fries. When we ordered, I asked, did you want fries? You said, I don't want any fries. I would have bought you all the fries you wanted, but I ordered the perfect portion for my belly. Probably a little bit more, but (laughs) these are my fries. So I've had to work on that. I've gotten a little bit better. And we Americans kind of are like that. But you go to other places in the world, mealtime's not about getting the calories in. I don't even know if it's about calories for us. I mean, or maybe, I don't know. I'm tired, so excuse me. I get goofy. It's hard for my filter gets weak and stuff comes out that shouldn't come out. But you go to other places and it's like Chinese food. It's like, it's just, you take what you want. It's, it's family style. There's something beautiful and intimate about this. This, you go to Chili's and you get the endless chips. I love it. Eat them all. They're going to keep them stocked up. Get your chip. Take a bite. Double dip if you're with me. That second bite is just as important as the first bite. You just keep, I don't care if you bit out of that chip, just dip it back in there because salsa is what makes the chip so wonderful. And there's something about the, the, the love and the fellowship that occurs in this setting. And so what happens is she, she's invited to the table with his workers where there was great discrimination. And Boaz is so hospitable. It's so wonderful. This is how the church should be. To, to be welcomed in. Eat. I don't care that you're a Moabite. Dip into the fondue of vinegar. This is the kind of the picture I'm having where they're kind of going back and forth in the community. I look at this picture of her being brought in and the great racism at the table. And we're going to look at this more. The racism in the church has something that makes me upset. Um, so I, I've, I wasn't really raised in the church, and then when I kind of then when I kind of came to Christ, I was in a like a non denominational setting, and then then when my father in law and I started the chapel um, like ten years ago this year, I think we didn't know what we were going to do and we were kind of having church and we're like, we need to kind of affiliate for like legal reasons. And then one of our friends who was Southern Baptist said, Hey, we, we can help. And, um, one of the things we really wrestled with is like, I, I'm like, I'm from San Diego. And, uh, and I say this cause we are, this church is affiliated with the Southern Baptist convention. So it's been 10 years for me now. But I was like, don't they like don't those Southern Baptists like do something with snakes and oil and like freaky stuff. Like what? I don't, I don't know. And my father-in-law is like, and there's some poor racial history with the Southern Baptist. Like really bad. Like we were really like in this tug of war and we started praying and sort of wrestling through. And one of the things that I've, 
as 10 years of being connected with the Southern Baptist, one thing that I really am thankful for and sort of embrace now is that this is a main, like the, uh, this autonomy, we're our own local church. There, nobody tells us what to do. And, and it's more like a gym membership so we can participate. We were kind of like in the, with the Southern Baptist Convention, we're sort of like gym members that never go to the gym, but we're affiliated, if that makes sense. Um, but then one thing I've noticed about the Southern Baptist denomination, so on the issue of racism, which they have a horrible, horrible history, they, they recognized that they were wrong. And then the denomination started saying, no, this is we have sinned greatly before the Lord. And so they've, they've changed their, their position with time, that they've come to align with the scripture. Same thing with today's sanctity of human life. 1973, the anniversary right around today, a day, offered a day or two. The Southern Baptist Convention was pro-abortion when it first happened. And then with time, they said, this, this doesn't align with scripture. And they have shifted their position, which is a beautiful thing. Once you have big organizations, once they get off track, they never come back. And that now the Southern Baptist Convention is one of the most racially integrated ecclesiastical bodies of, of believers. It's beautiful. We're one of the, the, the leading uh, pro-life supporters and advocates, which is a beautiful thing. But I think to myself in this, how did these intelligent Christian believers reach the point where they thought that God endorsed racism? And it ties into Ruth. We looked at this passage. If you would turn back to, with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Sorry if I get a little passionate. I told you I'm tired. I'm, I think this is important in our nation. I am a patriotic guy. And I am ashamed of our nation for that, that season that we lived in with racism. And a lot of the... During that day, the advocates of racism and segregation, different water fountains, different bathrooms, don't intermarry, draws from texts like Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, which I referenced in Ruth already. And Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 1 says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and Girgashites and Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor shall you take their daughters for your sons. And they say, that's where God says you should not interracially marry. And it amazes me that they can't even read verse 4. So why context, context, context is so important in Bible study. People like to pick and choose verses. This is why we teach whole books of the Bible. That keeps us on track. And look at verse 4. How do they miss? How do intellectual, smart, what I, like God-loving people, how do they miss verse 4? Verse 4 says, For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods, and the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. 
and he will quickly destroy you. Is the context have anything to do with the color of your skin? The answer is no. It's about following God. And I love that two weeks, I don't even know how long ago it was, but Kelly comes to church and she's carrying a gallon of milk in Hershey's. And I'm like, what do you have going on? Do I, do I, need, to get, do I need to figure out a way to maybe uh, skip out of church like quicker? They're chocolate milk in Sunday school today. I want some. Can I get some chocolate milk? And I don't think she told me right away or how it all unwanted my, the accuracy of how that, that might have all kind of maybe been fabricated a little bit for the sake of the story. But after church, I went back there and she was going along. And I look through the little window and I see like 10 little cups of, of milk and clear cups. And I see them making chocolate milk. Now, the first cup had like no chocolate. And the second cup had like a drop of it. The second cup had like three drops. This fourth cup had like, I don't know, like maybe a, a spoonful. And then by the time you get to the last one, I just see Lila there with the bottle going, more. And by the end, it was like just, so, it was like just Hershey syrup at the end. And I'm like, what is going on back here? She's like, well, we're, we're talking about where people came from and that we're all connected to Adam and how different people have different things. Like, I want to say lanolin. It's not lanolin. Is it melanin? Melanin. melanin. Last service, I said lanolin, but I caught myself. It's not lanolin. And the story was to teach the kids that the different shades of color, we're all, what? We just have different amounts of Hershey syrup in our skin. Some of us have less. Some of us have more. And I love it that we're teaching our kids this. Because what God cares about is not the color of your skin, but the condition of your heart. And I want nothing more than my daughters to love God with all of their heart. And for their spouse, I don't care if they're black, Mexican, Asian, whatever. What I want of their husbands is that their husbands love Jesus. And we need to know this. This was the issue. And so we come back to to Ruth. So I get a little upset. I'm a little smile. I didn't even write smile. But this is, there's a shameful history of Christianity in the United States on this. And it's time for it to be done. And so there Ruth the Moabitess is sitting at a table with Jews where there was extreme racism, racism, and we are going to see it unfold. So she eats. Come here that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. And so she sat beside the reapers intermixed, which wouldn't have happened had Boaz not forced this to happen. And he served her roasted grain and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Can you imagine her? The story, she's starving. Today starts out with her mom. Maybe I'll go to the field and glean something that I can bring back to you that you can get some nutrients that I can get something. And here she is in this field eating and now she's been invited to lunch and she's so stuffed that she can't eat any more. Which is where we were yesterday. They brought out the food. It was spicy pork. It was amazing. But Grace can't eat it. Uh, Dina couldn't eat the spiciness. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to serve Jesus. And I'll. So it looks like you cleaned your plate off so that we can bless them. You got to do. I mean, this is my favorite ministry. Blessing people through eating. And it's legitimate. It really is a big deal. Can I get an amen? It's true. <laughs> she has leftovers. 
I think that this is the first historical incident of the doggy bag. The doggy bag. She ate, she can't have more, and then she has leftovers, and so she's going to put it in a doggy bag. And she's going to bring it home to her mother-in-law. Later, we'll see that story unfold. But today, the story is not over. Leftovers. She had some left. Verse 15, when she rose to glean, day's just half over. She's going to work till sunset, till it's dark. I can't tell you how horrible it is once you've stuffed yourself to go work. Yesterday, when we ate and we are like, can we have nap time now? They're like, nope, we got to get the roof on. We got to do this. And, and I'm like, I just can nap time. Come on. <laughs> I can't tell you as a SEAL instructor when Hell Week was going on, I could guarantee you through Hell Week, the place to get the most amount of quitters was lunchtime. It was my favorite. We would sit them down for lunch, let the sun warm them up. They'd be nodding off. And it's like, okay, boys, time to get going. You know what? Normally we're secretive, but I'm going to tell you what we're going to do from lunch until dinner time. And so I started reading off the instructions about what we're going to do. Man, people would start quitting because there's nothing worse than working after you've eaten a ton of food. And yet this girl gets up and she works. She knows nothing about who this Boaz guy, other than he's incredibly blessed her and she's going to work. And she leaves to go work. And this is where the, this is where the tension of the racial lines after she leaves, Boaz looks to his workers and he's like, okay, boys, I have, if you want your job with me, I have some rules. I have some instructions for you to follow. The first thing that I have for you in verse 15, let her glean even among the she's. So when they were gleaning after the, the reapers have gone by and finished with that area, they were working in the background. You get the sense if these people are working that they could step into the territory that hadn't been reaped yet. And if a gleaner entered into the reaping area, that would be bad news. And he says, if she goes into the untouched territory on accident, leave her alone. So second thing, I don't want to hear any, how many Moabites does it take to change a light bulb jokes? No racial jokes. If I hear anything racial about the Moabites towards her, you're out of here. Your job is terminated. Nothing. He says this twice. He goes on to say, verse 16, and you shall purposely put out some grain from the bundles and leave it that she may glean. He says, as you're gleaning, you say, oops, I dropped one. Oops, I dropped one. <laughs> Look at that. I dropped a whole, all this stuff. And the law says I can't pick it up. Because the law says if you drop one, don't go back for it. That's for, the, that's for the gleaners. And so he says, I want you intentionally thrown out. You know, that's not corn, but, you know, imagine. So, whoops, there's another bundle. <laughs> Look at me, man. <laughs> there goes the whole bag. I'm really sloppy today. And he says, and don't insult her again. You give her dignity. Let her work. I'm sorry, I read that part. And do not rebuke her. Same thing beautiful picture and it says in verse 17 so she gleaned the field until evening so she gathers everything but the work is not done at this point she has to beat out what she has gleaned so she has this stuff she begins picking out separating the good the, the edible from the unedible she beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law 
uh, she went to the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She took it out and gave to Naomi what she had left over. She was satisfied. Like, so, uh, her leftovers. The question is, how much is an ephah of barley? Do you guys operate in ephahs of barley? You know, I actually, this week, I bumped into to Naomi. So I'm going to ask, uh, Naomi's here. So I'm going to ask, Naomi, there she is. Hey, Naomi, it's good to see you. She's whispering to strangers, stay away from those men, Naomi. They're trouble. They're... So this is Naomi, mom Naomi. I've been talking with Naomi and Ruth left it like pre-sunrise. And now it's, man, it's getting dark. You're getting worried about her. You're like, there's like, there's like the bad guys. I don't, maybe, maybe she got beat up. She is a Moabite in terrible land. I'm going to, okay, it's bad. I, what is that? Do I, is that, does that look like her coming down across the way? Oh, what is she carrying? I see Ruth. What? Is that a donkey bag? That looks like an ephah of barley. Where have you? Okay, see, now imagine. See, there she goes. See, look at. She's starving. She's, she's taking these things and she's like, where, where did you get this? Where have you been all the I mean, where, Who gave you all this? God bless the man that was just. Where, where did you get this? Who? Boaz? 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 What? God, wow. Okay, you, you can go off. I'm going to get some water so I can finish here. Goldfish are good. This is an ephah. Of oak leaves from my front yard. I was fresh out of wheat and barley. That is the size. Excuse me, I got a little excited there. Been starving. Now I got sustenance. I can go for a whole nother hour. So now let's look at the story. Because it has to come alive. Naomi doesn't know where Ruth is going other than to glean. There's all sorts of gleaning happening. Man, I got goldfish flying off of me still. She leaves. She stays gone. It's now dark. There's great danger out there. This was in the days of judges where men did what was right in their own eyes. And I can tell you, you don't want men doing what's right in their own eyes when there's a young single girl that's from a foreign land that has no protection under the law walking the fields at dark by herself. Naomi, I imagine, what did I, how did I let her go out there? I should have been more explicit about, like, don't be out past dark. It's dangerous. Be on your guard. And all of a sudden, she's in Ruth coming. It says, right, in verse, wherever we are, in verse 18, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she took it out. It gave Naomi what she had left after she was satisfied. So she's got this ephah of, of stuff, and she pulls out the doggy bag, and don't read this casually. Here is Naomi who is starving. Ruth is stuffed. And she's eating like, where did you get this food? Where were you? May God bless this guy. And this is this beautiful picture of a person that's been touched by the mercifulness of God. We sang a song and I don't even think you, we, 
Like, I hope when we sing songs, you guys know what you're saying. We sang a song today. That the words were, I stole it. I gleaned this from Don's over here. I'm humbled by your mercy. And I'm broken inside. Once again, I thank you. Once again, I pour out my life. Think of sweet Naomi, who then turned her name to Mara. Her daughter goes out. She doesn't like God has broken her. She was wrong. God is judging her. There's no hope for her. There's no way God would bless her again. Her daughter-in-law shows up with this wheat and leftovers and sustenance. And in verse 19, where did you glean today? Where did you work? May he who took notice of you be blessed. So Ruth told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And she said, the name of the man who I work today is Boaz. And as Naomi is eating, I see her just stop in her tracks. Boaz. That's Elimelech's cousin. That is a father, a relative of my husband and my sons who have been killed. It's their, it's their connection, the kinsmen. Remember, there was nothing more devastating than for the family line to be cut off of God's cursing. Suddenly now, there's hope for Elimelech's family line to continue. Verse 20, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed of the Lord who has not withdrawn his kindness to the living and the dead. Did you catch that? The living and the dead? That she's blessed. and She, I think, has to be weeping at this point. The living and the dead. The dead is her husband and her two sons. Cut off family line. Now her daughter-in-law has stumbled across one of their very few relatives. So their family name can continue. Yesterday before we went out. And I like cut my lippy and goldfish or something. I was. I hope you guys appreciate that. Um, put in for workman's comp later today. <laughs> just, just joking. I don't, know. I don't even know if we have that. Um, um, so we were worship, like we had a time of worship yesterday, and uh, it was rough. I mean, it was like the guy started out by like, "Hey guys, I don't play the guitar." The guy who plays the guitar, he's not here today, so you got me. And we sang three worship songs, and I, um, man, it it hit me. I I. Uh, my eyes broke and like water started coming out. And so if you ever see me worshiping and I pull this number, that, that means that like I'm crying. That God has like so like, like he's just, his mercies are new again. And I remember where I came from and that I'm here. And I, whenever I cry in these settings, I think back to Mongolia when I worship with these missionaries. And I just couldn't stop crying. And I sense that God said, Gunner. I've taken away your anger and your bitterness and I've given you tears. The fact that you've had an abortion, the fact that you almost should have had a DUI, the fact that you've done all of this stuff, none of this matters. I've forgiven you. 
And there I sat with my eyes watering yesterday. Going, this is so embarrassing. Is this last song? Is this last song? So then if you ever see me do this number, see, I don't want to do this because then people might see that I'm crying. So I went, so they can't, you know, they can't see. And then it's like the snot starts, and it's like, this is like, what if this is the last song? And they say like, look up, and I don't want to look up. And then, so then I'm like, <coughs> kind of like sneak out in the bathroom, and I'm in the back room going, <coughs> and I come back refreshed. But it was beautiful. Because we need, see, once again, I thank you. Once again, I pour out my life. See, it's not just about coming to Christ. His mercies renew every day. That today, his graciousness and mercy is overflowing. And here is Ruth reckoned. How could, I mean, Naomi, how could God be so kind to me? And suddenly she gets the theme song, matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. She's like, the, the, the family line, my husband's name will be carried. And Naomi said to, to her, this man is our relative. He's one of our closest relatives. Verse 21 and Ruth, the Moabitess, still tacked on with Moabitess. They just won't drop it. It gets better mom furthermore he said to me you should stay close to my servants until they finished all my harvest this ephos just one day tomorrow i'm coming back with another one till the harvest is over and don't miss that she says servants and how the mother-in-law responds in verse 22 naomi said to ruth her daughter-in-law it is good my daughter that you go out with his maids, not servants. Maids stay with the women. Just maybe. Maybe. It's beautiful. So that others don't fall upon you in another field. And I love the storytelling of God. Verse 23. I, 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 I admitted it last service, so it's out. So I, I, feel I probably should admit it. But there's a TV show that I'm like totally hooked on. It was good for me when it was like they ended it because I couldn't not watch like every like episode. And it just and then this week they announced that it's coming back for a season. Jack Bauer is coming back. I'm not endorsing the program. It's my flesh dealing with whatever. Like, I, but the Navy SEAL in me like loves the show. It's like the show is 24 hours long, but they only give you an hour at a time. And just when you like. The, the plot is thickening. The screen goes black. And you're dun, dun. Next week on 24, stay tuned for scenes. And you're like, no, 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 no. Like, what's going to... This is just when... The, ah, this is what they do to us. I know we can read into chapter 3, but let's just pretend that we can't. Because we're not going to go there till next week. And so the, the narrator of the story kind of backs back. And he says, man, I have goldfish in my throat somehow. I don't know how that happened. So she stayed close by the maids of Boaz in order to glean until the end of the barley harvest and the wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. What's going to happen after the harvest is over? Is there going to be a match? Is there not going to be a match? We don't know. And I love this story. If there is anything, if you guys could turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Never let this grow old. Don't become religious. 
Don't become stale in your walk with God. Romans chapter 2, 4 is just a beautiful picture of God. As Paul is laying out that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that we all stand condemned. Our inclination as humans, I think, across the board is to respond, well, if I've wronged him, then I'll pay it back to him. And you can't. You can't. And look what Paul writes in verse 4 of chapter 2. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? If there's anything that we get from the book of Ruth is that God is a God of kindness. He's holy and he wants you to turn to him and to give you his heart and to walk with him. And I can't help but to think of the parable that Jesus told his disciples. And I think of Matthew as he tells the story. Oh, there's a there's a Pharisee at the temple praying, say, pounding his chest. Look at me. Thank God I'm not like that man over there who was a tax collector, who the tax collector their family could, anybody could lie to them. A family didn't have to claim them as a family member. And Jesus says that that tax collector over there at the edge doesn't even look up. And he's just broken and said, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. That's where God wants us to be so that as he pours out his mercy upon us, if you've never experienced God's mercifulness, My prayer is that you could because there's no greater way to soften a heart than to experience how merciful God is. Dave's the first guy. He always points out to me. I spend a lot of time writing with him. And the one thing I don't like about Dave is he looks at me. He's like, you don't deserve anything. You're a lousy, crooked slob that's not worthy of anything. And you, your wife could have done so much better than you. And I'm like, thanks, Dave. Back at you. And he says, but just to think of God's like, how merciful he's been. How gracious is it? If you spend any time with him, he's a guy that gets the great. Like, that's the message you're going to get is that God is so merciful and so gracious to us. Amen. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. I thank you, um, Lord, for this beautiful story of Ruth. I pray each of us, Lord, wherever we are in our walk with you, Lord, if there are people that don't know you, that they would see, Lord, that it's not about works. It's your mercifulness, your kindness that leads us to turn to you, to trust you with our lives, our souls. Father, for those of us who have trusted you for salvation, Lord, I pray that you would Lord, keep us from falling into religion and works, Lord. May your mercy be new to us every day. I thank you, Lord, for your kindness. Thank you for this wonderful story of Ruth. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.